Hi and welcome to the Msingi Talks podcast, a podcast hosted by Msingi Trust. This podcast ventures deeper into issues of faith, advocacy, activism, and makes connections between these worlds. Psalms 89.14 states that justice and righteousness are the foundation of God's throne. And here we unpack how the church, as the body of Christ and institution, can faithfully embody justice and righteousness in both word and deed. Karibuni, and let's do justice. Karibuni sana to, this would be our third episode of um, Singi Trust podcast, and it's very exciting to have a, a friend who we've just re, gotten reacquainted with, just remembering that we met in 2017 in at the Justice Conference in Cape Town, and uh, we'll also introduce um, Jared as he as he comes in. But Karibu uh, sana Lisa to Msingi Trust podcast. Msingi Trust. Karibu sana. I am so excited to be here with you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to 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 hang out here for a while. Yes. Yes. At Msingi Trust. Yes. And thank you for, for honoring the invitation. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we'll share about where we first met and what that has brought about as we, as we go on. And Karibus, again, to Jared. Karibus, my friend, this is a lot yeah. of fun. Uh, I love yeah. you. I love Lisa. I'm so <laughs> thankful for you both. So the opportunity to just hang out and uh, uh, chew the fat is going to be fun. Awesome. Yeah. So Jared is has was there for our first episode and will will be a staple in this episode because <laughs> we share a lot of conversations and sometimes we just want to have them recorded. So so it's going to it's going to be a good a good ride. Lisa, um I met you at the Justice Conference. Actually met Jared and Lisa. Was it at the same justice conference or different? No, different, different ones. Yeah. Yeah. Different ones. yeah. I met you both at the justice conference in Cape Town, 2017 and 2018. So I met you, Lisa, in 2017. And yeah. as I was telling you before we recorded that um, you took, I was invited to be part uh, by Craig to be part of the faith-rooted organizing training that happened prior to the justice conference. And I want to say this on record that that week where it was you, it was uh, Alexia, it was Nikki, Alexia Salvatierra and Nikki Mm -hmm. Scott Bay Jones. Mm -hmm. That was really, really um, fundamental Mm. to to me starting um, Cindy Trust. I I knew in 2017 that I had to. Wow. I had to do what wow. now I stepped out actually six months later to mm-hmm. do it. So <gasps> only six months? What? <laughs> you yes. d- really? Normally it's like people take a longer yes. on ramp into yes. into starting those new things and also moving. Did you you did you did you live in Kenya at the time? Yes, I lived in Kenya at the time. So you yeah. had traveled to yes. South Africa for the yes. conference and for the training. Yes. Yes. Oh. Yeah. So my plan, my plan was to to start in December of that month, but work mm-hmm. situations made it that I had to leave and start in in August 
And so, yeah, mm-hmm. so because that conference was in March and I, I, I can remember the months and the dates. Yeah. It, was so, it was so significant. So it was March and I started in August. So My thank goodness. you for the contribution and uh, into that. You're very, very welcome. And let me just tell you that um, that conference was critical, like really, really critical for me in my own understanding of the Very Good Gospel, which is the title of my book um, that I was there speaking about. Ironically, the book was already written, but it was in the process of speaking Um, giving a talk that I had given a million times before in different forms because I had been speaking this message of Mm -hmm. Shalom. At that point for about, what was it? That was 2017. So for about 13 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the message had been honed, but I think it was standing in the context of colonization. Mm -hmm. I mean, standing in the context of such recent colonization with South Mm -hmm. Africa's apartheid. Yeah. And such blatant, there is nothing to clarify like apartheid, right? Yeah. Apartheid was just so clear. Mm-hmm. And and they and that was intentional. They actually took American, that's the ironic thing. They took mm-hmm. American Jim Crow mm-hmm. and perfected it mm-hmm. under apartheid. Like they took, if, if you can have a perfect yeah. version of Jim Crow, mm-hmm. right? They perfected that. So it clarified things for me. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, in the midst of my speaking that, it, 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 what, hit, what hit me, what hit me more than anything else was the Afrikaners actually thought of themselves as Christians. They thought of themselves mm-hmm. as a Christian nation, not just the black folk, the white mm-hmm. folk thought of themselves as a Christian nation. Yeah. And they thought of their apartheid as being an, uh, an outward working of their faith. Hello, somebody. Yeah. They, they really did. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but it struck me as I was speaking, or maybe it was just before I went up to speak, that the people who they were subjugating were made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. So actually, they were subjugating the image of God in mm-hmm. South Africa. That's mm-hmm. what they were doing. That, in the actual, like, the, at the essence of what they were doing, they were subjugating God. They were attempting mm-hmm. to subjugate God, which is actually to declare war against God. And I remember saying that um, from that stage for the very mm. first time in South wow. Africa. Mm. And, um, and I, I never had that thought before, before that day, sitting there in the green room, actually preparing. Mm-hmm. And, and when I got up on the stage and I looked out, it just became very clear to me. And ever since then, that's actually, that has, that has kind of that has literally become the core mm-hmm. of my understanding of the gospel. The, the, the good news of the gospel is actually Jesus, the king of the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. has come yeah. in order to confront the kingdoms of men mm-hmm. that are hell-bent on subjugating the image of God on earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lisa. I was actually re-listening to that sermon that you preached. Uh, really? Morning. Oh my gosh! I haven't yes. even listened to it. <laughs> yes, I was, and uh, you you shared uh, that you've been you you've been doing the work of finding the very good gospel for thirteen years. Could yes. you could you please um, 
maybe share uh, what what yeah. brought about that journey for you. Oh, thank you for asking. Oh my goodness. I mean, for me, this, it really, it's been a journey. It's a good way to put it. Um, it's been a pilgrimage and it started with a pilgrimage back in 2003. Um, back in 2003, I was working for a Christian organization that is a campus ministry and we had just gone through the 1990s, right? We were like three years out of the 1990s, four years. And, uh, well, actually, no, about three years out of the 1990s. And the 1990s in the United States was an incredibly racial, uh, racially tense um, decade in American history. We had everything from the Los Angeles uprising to the O.J. Simpson trial to Amadou, Amadou Diallo was an, uh, actually an African immigrant who um, was, I believe, an American citizen, who like naturalized mm-hmm. citizen. Um, and he pulled out his wallet and was mm. gunned down by the police. And it just, it caused amazing uprising in New York City because of that. <laughs> but he was not the last. James Byrd was an mm. African-American man who lived in Jasper, Texas and whew, mm. and found himself being dragged behind a truck. Mm. Um basically lynched in the 20th century, in the late 20th mm-hmm. century, in the 1999, um, Jasper, Texas. And so, so race was clearly in the spotlight in the 1990s. And as a result, evangelical Christian organizations who were trying to do racial reconciliation began to feel the pressure the pressure mm-hmm. on their own theology, the pressure on their own systems and structures that they were not able to, and really on their understanding of, of the gospel, that it was not able to hold the way they were seeing it. It wasn't able to hold both, you know, get your friends into the kingdom, evangelism, mm-hmm. and racial reconciliation. We need to make this world a better place racially. Mm-hmm. Um we didn't understand it. We really didn't understand the systems and structures that had been set up to subjugate us. We just knew that there was something in the air that made people think of the of each other as the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but and we tried to fight against it. But come two thousand and one, um, the multi ethnic ministries director, in other words, the the director of the ministry that was responsible for making sure Black and Latino and Asian. Um, people in this ministry were cared for because it was a mostly a dominantly white um, organization. Um, the multi ministries director started to ask the question of how does the gospel intersect with racial reconciliation, which is what we used to call it. Now I call it racial healing or racial justice or racial equity. Um, but how does the gospel intersect with this stuff? And um, his name is Samuel Barkat. Um, and he went and he began to talk with, uh, Hebrew scholars about the concept of shalom. Mm -hmm. And he discovered, he realized in the midst of these conversations that it is actually in the biblical concept of shalom, that these two things come together, Mm -hmm. that at the heart of the good news is the promise of the coming of the kingdom, the kingdom and kingdom of God. 
In other words, the reweaving of all of creation back to itself, of all the relationships in creation that were created to be very good, just like it says in verse 31 of of chapter 1 of Genesis, that we were created and God looks around on on the third day, on the end of the third day and says, this is very good. But God is not referring in the, in the Hebrew mindset, they would not have understood God to be referring to the things, you know, the whale, the rock, the cloud, that these things are very good. God would have been referring to the ties between them. Mm-hmm. God would yeah. have been referring to the reality that, that oh, all of what I've just created is living in an overwhelmingly good relationship with itself, with each other. That is what God called perfection. But Mm. somehow we were handed down the Greek understanding of perfection, which Mm -hmm. is it places perfection inside the thing. So the Mm. Greek project was to try to be perfect, was to try to find the perfect whatever, the perfect um, table, the perfectly level floor to, right? But that's just not how the Hebrews saw it. They didn't see it that way. They were Mm. They were relational and therefore ethical. So they understood their text to be an ethical text, a text that was supposed to be guiding how we interact with each other. And at the heart of that question is the answer that God gives us on the first page of the Bible. It is we interact with each other through overwhelming goodness. Mm. We interact with each other in a way that blesses all It does not curse Mm. any. And when one is cursed, all are cursed. All are cursed. You cannot have just blessing over here and cursing Mm. over here. That's just not the way we were created. We were created in an intricate web of relationships. And another part of this, um, a part of the good news is that what that good news looks like is it looks like humanity being made in the image of God, that mm-hmm. you and you, Jared, and, and every person listening to this mm-hmm. broadcast and, uh, and, and everybody, like my Uber driver, hello, I don't know if you have mm-hmm. Uber in Kenya. I mean, we it's kind of everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah, we my do. Uber driver, maybe not the company, but my Uber driver mm-hmm. is made in the image of yeah. God. Mm-hmm. Right? And, uh, and the mother who, who can barely feed her children, um, the, the, the father who is digging his own well so that he can mm-hmm. get water onto his land, um, the, the grandmother, the grandfather, everyone is made in the image of God. And what it doesn't just mean, it doesn't, and this is the thing that I think that this has been watered down by the church. There's not a clear understanding of what this means, the implications of this, that the church has understood, actually the church barely understands, barely even reads this text, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. But when it seeks to understand it, usually it focuses on that image and then it, it pontificates about what it means to be made in the image of God. It, it might say the, made it, what it means to be made in the image of God is that um, we're all diverse, which is true. We are all diverse and we are all of us made in the image of God, which means God is in, in God's self diverse. Later on in the text, it actually says explicitly male and female are made in the image of God. So it's also it also um, levels the power structure between men and women, men and women in that one single verse, but connected in the same breath is, and let them have dominion. Mm -hmm. 
So that what it means to be made in the image of God is to be created with the call, the divine call, and the capacity to help steward the world. And the thing is, is that our world has been crafted and formed over the last 1,500 years in the, mm. since the age of colonization. Um, and not even 1,500. You really, you should take it back to about 2,500 to 3,500, even mm. going back to Egypt colonizing um, mm. smaller and Babylon colonizing smaller nations. But since then, really since chapter 12 of Genesis, we mm. have been experiencing a world that is crafted by domination. Mm. by the domination of some over others. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing is that that's not how we were created to live. We were created to live free. We were created to to flourish. We were created to, all of us, help make decisions that impact this world, that help shape it and care for it and protect it and cultivate it and serve it. Mm -hmm. But domination, colonization... Mm. racism, mm. white supremacy, Christian supremacy, mm-hmm. ethnic, I mean, national, nationalism, mm-hmm. all of these things, all of them wage war with the image of God on mm-hmm. earth because mm-hmm. they all of them seek to declare that some images of God are not created to exercise dominion on earth. Mm-hmm. That is waging war with God because God said, um, hello, yes, they are. Yeah. Oh, wow. so the good news is that Jesus yeah. came to confront that. <laughs> yeah. The good mm-hmm. news is that Jesus came to say, hell no. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lisa, for really uh, placing to us, like you've just shared uh, your book based, uh, in so Lisa has a book called the very good gospel and it, in it she shares this story and in depth and she and there's a lot online on you um, speaking and preaching and teaching and also on your podcast um, Freedom Road which I listen to if you ever see anybody from Kenya that's me that's me. <laughs> That's me That's listening, lis- listening to you and learning so much from you and from the conversations you have. Thank so you. Um, I want to ask Jared, because one, mm-hmm. uh, there's the thing about what supremacists and, and people who are colonizing or people who want to usurp God's power, mm-hmm. there's a thing they use the Bible mm. and they use God's word. So as we are hearing what Lisa is saying, how do we decolonize the gospel or unmaster it? Because the gospel is in the hands of the master. So the master mm. defines what, what Exodus right now in, uh, in one of, uh, in Amsingi study, we are doing the book of Exodus. Yeah, and we, yeah. we understand that um, the Exodus was a book that couldn't, was actually plucked out from the slavery Bible. Is that true? 
Yes, so, it is. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things where when the master has the tools, when the master has the book, he will use it. Empire will use it to for their own cause. What do you have to say about that, uh, uh, Jared? And how? What's the process of decolonizing and unmastering the gospel mm, so and, the ch- and the church as well? Carol, I, I think one of the things that Lisa does so well, uh, both in her preaching and that particular book that you've lifted up, the very good gospel, mm-hmm. is. Um, and Lisa, I, I apologize because I was like letting my dog out. Um, I'm not sure if you started with um, the story about imagining your great, great, great grandmother. I I didn't. I didn't. Let's make sure that um, we give you an opportunity to, because it's so powerful and it personalizes it. And I think Mm -hmm. what um, that story and that journey uh, uh, that Lisa embarked on and really invested over a decade. uh, 13 years. 13 years. um, uh, Meditating upon um, what would be good news to my ancestors, it locates the fact that gospel is often a term that we use for something that isn't good news. My mate A.D. Leeson, and if anybody's listening from Aotearoa, New Zealand, you'll know A.D. because uh, he's been involved in the Catholic Worker Movement and the Plowshare Movement, um, and they did an action where uh, they disarmed uh, um, large satellites that were being used uh, in war. And um, AD often says, um, do you know what the good news is? And, of course, when you set up with a question like that, you're like, well, what are you looking for? And he'll interrupt you before you give an answer and he'll say, yeah. the mm-hmm. bad news. And sometimes it's really important to just start with that. Like, the good news is the end of the bad news. Mm. So yes. Mm. Yes. That's news. so good. Yes. Because yes. If, if our bodies are bad news, well, then mm. the good news is we no longer have bodies. If the earth yeah. is bad, wow. well, good news is there's there's no longer creation. Mm. Um, if uh, wow. like the, Ooh, the way good. we think about mm. it and the way we construct it, and mm. as Lisa so often points out, when people's gospel starts with the four spiritual laws, yes, God, that God will use anything, right? Like it's mm-hmm. that classic preacher line that God used. Uh, spoke through an ass in the Old Testament and he'll do so today as well. But what if we actually could communicate the gospel, um, not just with our lips, but with our lives in such ways that were as beautiful as the gospel? And if we're clear that the good news is the end of the bad news, we need to go, okay, what does God call good and bad? Yeah. What is this tov, tov, tov that Lisa Uh will point out in... uh, don't have to get far into the pages of scripture to realize that right there at the beginning is a radical ontological affirmation of creation. There's big words that I can't spell, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's that things are radically at their core. And as Lisa was just insisting um, uh, in their interconnections, they're good. Mm -hmm. Um, The creation itself, not just the Holy Trinity, but Mm -hmm. all of reality uh, reflects a relational dynamic that whether we're looking at quantum physics, string theory, like w- wherever we're going, the, the latest research in the sciences is pointing to this ancient Hebraic intuition that we are relational, mm-hmm. that God is relational. Mm-hmm. And to be made in the image of a relational God is to actually rule in such a way that God rules. Mm-hmm. And so you don't yeah. even need to get, because 
I mean, th there's nothing that um, I think shows uh, sneaking anti-Semitism in how mm -hmm. people talk about their scriptures uh, mm -hmm. than when they talk about Old Testament God. Well, yes. Yes, yes, exactly. It's the same yes. God. What are you talking about? And, and I'm like, sorry, yeah. um, yes. have you spent any time with your Jewish neighbours? Mm. Do you have any Jewish friends? Because mm. they'll be very quick to tell you God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding mm. in love. Yeah. Jesus wasn't contradicting his ancestors. Mm -hmm. And if we listen to our ancestors well, if we yeah. listen to that great cloud of witnesses, we won't have to contradict them but join them in worship of the one who answers their cries and the one to whom their praises are directed. And that's a very, very different journey because it mm -hmm. takes us to the place of actually naming, well, what is bad? Yes. And God names clearly that any domination, whether it is the deception um, between uh, those first humans, uh, whether it is the one brother overpowering another mm -hmm. and the testimony of blood crying out from the land mm -hmm. that God hears, whether it's the Babel building projects and how we see sin grow and the insidious effects of sin as it goes from an interpersonal or intrapersonal mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. interpersonal um, uh, to a, a reality that grows at its mm -hmm. systemic, structural and finally global and mm. the New Testament uses the term uh, cosmos in ways that are confusing for most and uh, even worse when we're reading in English, um, which uh, none of was the language of none of our ancestors, um, mm -hmm. uh, but it's the language that uh, most of us have been schooled in, uh, literally in school and elsewhere, that when we use the term world, we, we miss that, um, or to quote James, that friendship with the world is hatred towards God. If mm. we get what world is wrong, we mm. get the gospel wrong. Because if yeah. we name that God so loved the world that he mm -hmm. sent his one and only son and that our Lord's half-brother says friendship with what God so loves, mm. so is Jesus contradicting his half-brother James mm. or is, in fact, have we missed what's actually going on? World is actually a way of naming all that looks like domination, all that looks like injustice, mm. sin, oppression, death, violence and decay. Mm -hmm. not God's good creation and not mm -hmm. the good relating. So part of decolonizing is actually realizing that if our gospel isn't the end of all the bad news, mm -hmm. maybe it's not good news at all. Can I add something there? Because I mm -hmm. think that that's exactly right. And I think that, well, first of all, let me go back. To, I'll go back to my, my third great grandmother. So her name was Please Leah do. Ballard. Mm -hmm. um, she was the last enslaved um, adult in our family. Mm. She was... Um, she had 17 children, mm -hmm. um, most likely because she was forced to be a breeder, yes. someone yeah. whose, whose job on the plantation prior to the Civil War in America was to breed money for her master. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. the family story says that she had those 17 children, but on the record after the Civil War, there's only a record of 12 Mm. which means that most likely five of her mm. children had been either killed, died of malnutrition or disease, or were sold away. Mm. And so I was on that pilgrimage that I talked with you about. I didn't really describe it in detail, which we don't have, really have time for, but just to say that it, it was a pilgrimage through my own family's story. So mm -hmm. I'm like looking out the window as we're rolling through the 
the roll the hill country of um of mississippi the rolling highways that they have there and i'm imagining what it was like for my grandmother who lived in south carolina which is not that far away um, from mississippi and i imagine walking up to her door and saying great 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 grandma leah i have good news for you Mm. god loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life yeah (laughs) <laughs> but you are sinful and therefore yes. separated from God. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sin. And mm-hmm. so all you need to do is pray this little prayer at the back of the gold booklet, which is that four spiritual laws that Jared um, mentioned a little bit ago. Um, it's a it's a little booklet that's supposed to explain the gospel um, mm-hmm. and that was created back in the 1940s, right, by mm-hmm. a, a Southern white man. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and then, you know, all you just pray this little prayer and you get to go to heaven. That is the good news of the gospel. You get to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. But I imagine saying that to Leah and asking myself, how would she receive this? Would she, would she, would this news make Leah Ballard jump and shout? Would this make her like sing hallelujah and dance? Mm. And the reality was no, no. She, if, if she was living in America in the 1980s, she would say, are you smoking crack? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what are you smoking? Do you not, do you not see me? Yeah. Do you not understand? Mm-hmm. So that, that reality that my understanding of the gospel would not be received as good news by my ancestors. Mm-hmm. That's what held me into the 13 years of searching the scripture to know, okay, so if First of all, because here's the thing, Jesus himself, Jesus was brown. Mm-hmm. Jesus was colonized. Yes. Mm-hmm. Jesus was an indigenous man, indigenous to the land. Yes. Had relationship with that land. Jesus was subjugated by Western empire. Mm-hmm. He was subjugated by an empire that was explicitly white supremacist. Mm-hmm. explicitly they yeah. they they no no they explicitly mm-hmm. through their words mm-hmm. declared that the only full human beings were white people were mm-hmm. westerners um mm-hmm. aristotle coined the term western supremacy mm-hmm. okay and aristotle's teacher plato was the one to invent the category of race mm-hmm. He said that races were different metals that different people groups were made of. And each, each metal, every, each people group were, was created to serve the polis in particular ways. So the gold people serve the polis in this way, and the silver people serve the polis in this way, and the copper in that way. And it's arguable whether or not mm-hmm. this is hierarchical in, in Aristotle's mind. But hey, it only took 10 years for, wow. for Aristotle. Um, sorry, did I say Aristotle I meant Plato? Because Plato is the one who wrote that. It took 10 years for Aristotle to carry that forward and then create hierarchy out of it. Because it was Aristotle who then said, okay, so Westerners are the civilized ones. Westerners are the ones that um, that have that have been made in the image of God. A few, a few he wouldn't have said that, but a few, mm-hmm. like a century and a half later, not even a half, a century later, um, Pope Nicholas V says then that uh, that those the only ones who are civilized are the ones um, who basically are Christian, 
and who are from the West. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they are the only ones who are called by God to exercise dominion in the world. Mm-hmm. So we know from the text that's just not true. So he had a bad mm-hmm. read of Genesis 1, 26. Mm-hmm. And that bad read is what got us the doctrine of discovery that was yeah. um, put in place by, by that Pope. And that doctrine is what got us all of colonized mm-hmm. Africa. Yeah. In North America and Central America and South America and Australia and New Zealand. I mean, it got us, it got us Hong Kong. It got us um, Indonesia. It got us Vietnam. It got us the world as we know it today. Wow. Wow. Because of one Pope's bad read of the text. Wow. So the work, I believe that the work now is the work of decolonization. Mm-hmm. The work now is to decolonize our mind mm-hmm. and to decolonize our, our, our text and to decolonize our gospel. And fundamentally, I think that what it looks like to decolonize the text is to, when you look at the text, don't read it according to your world and, and your world's understanding. First, seek to understand how the original hearers would have heard mm-hmm. it. And in order to understand that, to begin to understand that, you have to put them in their full context, not only the year that it was written and the, and the place that it was written, but the, but the geographical, not only the geographical context as well, was this written in the mountain country or over by the sea? Because that does help. Yeah. But also the political context. Mm-hmm. Was this, was that, were these people dominated? And I'll just give you a little hint. Mm-hmm. Every single, every single mm-hmm. word of the mm-hmm. entire text was mm-hmm. written by somebody who was colonized mm-hmm. or had the fear of being colonized, AKA David and Solomon. But mm-hmm. every single other writer, every other word in the text mm-hmm. is written by someone who is colonized at the time that they are writing. And that. Mm-hmm. That should change the way yeah. that we read the text. Mm. And and hearing you, Lisa, two things come to mind is one, the is it do I call it wisdom, but the there's the ingenuity of colonialism that they were able to flip that script. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, I don't call it wisdom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wisdom is a good thing. That's that's yes. a straight up evil. But, yes. but yes. Evil. Yes, the evil. The ingenuity. Of, I'll call it yes. the, ingen- yes. the evil ingenuity. <laughs> yes. Of the colonial mindset that it's able to mm-hmm. flip that. And then I'm reminded of uh, Chad Meyer's reading of the mm-hmm. parable of the talents. Ah. Yeah. Yes. Of how when we read and Everybody who preaches the parable of the talent says that the the one who buried the talent was the foolish one. But when mm-hmm. Ched reads it, and it, in that book he writes that for the hearers of that day, they knew that the person who did the right thing, the person who did the brave thing, the person who did the revolutionary thing mm-hmm. is the one who planted it. And, and mm. who, who buried that uh, talent because, mm. yes, the master really rip, uh, uh, mm. ripped from where he did not sow. And that's the work of, oh, <laughs> yes, and that's mm-hmm. the work of colonization wow. is ripping from where you did not sow. That's, that's exactly of, right. That's the work of capitalism. That's the work of all these uh, mechanisms that just 
profit of people's sweat. Mm -hmm. But now we've made that parable to be something about use your actual talents, you know, like the gifts yeah. that God has given you. But wow. for the readers of that and the hearers of that uh, parable, they knew what was going on. And they actually knew who that story was about. You know how mm-hmm. you how parables were about somebody you know? They knew mm-hmm. who it was. Mm-hmm. That's and, true. And, and that's it will take a lot of, of, of work to undo it, but I love these spaces that we are co-creating and co-sharing because mm-hmm. it allows us to break, break um, some of these narratives that colonialism missionary money has, mm-hmm. has been able to, to, to get in. Because I was, I was wondering, um, when you talked about Jim Crow, I was wondering about those, you could explain what Jim Crow is, and also for Jared to give an example of a law in your Australian context that was Jim Crow-ish, and then we'll... Sh- mm-hmm. I'll, oh, that's good. Yes, and for us, I will use, maybe I can say about the laws, especially about crime and criminals, where there's an order, there was an order at a time for shoot to kill, when you see, uh, when you see, uh, maybe criminals coming off for a scene of a crime, you shoot to kill, no negotiation. And now, what that has led to is extrajudicial executions. Uh, yeah, is extrajudicial executions in in Nairobi, in Kenya. And so, I'm wondering, how do we? connect all these laws and then also how how maybe lisa you can answer this how can the black african church and the black american church network and connect better and also connect our struggles together so that we understand each other better yes yeah msingi is a swahili word meaning foundation our name and mandate comes from Psalms 89.14. We host engaging conversations on faith, social justice, and advocacy across all our social media platforms. We also offer training and consultancy services to help you navigate the world of social justice and faith. To engage with us, visit our website, www.msingitrust.org. Follow us on all our social media handles, at Trust, or email us on info at missingitrust.org okay um so yes everybody um please please forgive me i i'm going to need to jump off in about five minutes (laughs) so thank you so much um uh carol for for again for your invitation and for your generosity um Mm -hmm. in terms of this the space to tell story thank you Mm -hmm. for that yeah. Um, I think that what we need to do is we need to understand that that our faiths in the African American church and in the in African churches across the world have been formed, and not just us, all over Europe, all over Asia, all over South America, that our faiths have been formed in the context of colonizing empire. Mm. Um, that the people 
who were, this is what I, I, I truly believe that the project of the last 500 years has been the, the Luther's project. It has been, you know, to distinguish the church from the Catholic church and then all of the different divisions that happened from there, people trying to figure out what's the perfect way to read the Bible, right? And, mm-hmm. and to live the Christian faith according to um, what, what, generally speaking, German scholars saw mm-hmm. and how they mm-hmm. saw the world. Um, and it was, it was the issues and the, the context of Europe that shaped the read of those theologians that shaped our read of the text mm-hmm. because our faith, the Christian faith has been handed to us um, with a guidebook for how to read this text that was written in Europe at mm-hmm. the time of the slave trade. Mm-hmm. So this is important to me mm-hmm. that as at the same time that Luther was, you know, nailing his precepts to the wall at the same time that Calvin was, uh, was uh, fighting back against the Catholic church and against um uh, really the Lutheran church <laughs> against um, the colonist, really the colonization of the Catholic church in his space. Right. At the same time that he was forming that theology, mm-hmm. it, the theology he formed was not challenging mm-hmm. the international slave trade. Mm. It did not challenge that. And in fact, those nations, while those nations at that time were not slave trading nations, as in they were not the ones actually going with the ships and, you know, and bringing slaves to the, the, the quote, new world, they were funding it. Mm. They were making a lot of money off of it. They mm-hmm. became rich nations because of the slave trade mm-hmm. at the same time mm-hmm. that Calvin was working out his, his stuff and that Luther was working out his stuff, right? This is actually, and this is important because what you now, what you have to, you have to face the reality that this theology, this way of reading the scripture mm-hmm. did not speak against Slavery, it did not stop. It did not challenge slavery. And yet, the scripture itself does. Mm. The scripture itself was written by enslaved people who mm. were saying, um, Lord, bring us shalom. Mm. Enslaved people who, who have the story of Moses who said, let my people go. Yeah. Enslaved people who, um, who have the prophet Isaiah who said, you know, woe to you rulers who lord your power over others dominate woe to you um who who said you know send away your clashing symbols i want justice give me justice so it's that was in the text it's not new that was in the text at that time but calvin's understanding of that text at a time when the slave trade was just beginning to burgeon mm. did not challenge it instead people who followed calvin also also mm. funded the slave trade mm-hmm. so i think and this is the thing it's all over the world now 
Yeah. The te- like that understand that way of reading the text, Calvin's way of reading the text, Luther's way of reading the text has been propagated into the colonized lands and we've mm. eaten it. We've eaten mm. it as if it's like really good. Yeah. It tastes good. But and and then we wonder why. We wonder why we continue to have strife. Mm. <laughs> we wonder why we continue to have domination upon domination within our nations. Why why decolonized Africa mm-hmm. still now struggles. Yeah. In many places, not all of it, but in many places with the spirit of colonization rising again within its own people. Mm. Why? And usually by Christians. Yes. Why? Because the, 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 the way that we have been taught to read the scripture is by the colonizer. We've been mm. taught to read the scripture from the social location of empire. And mm. it was empire that killed Amen. Jesus. Amen. It was empire yeah. that killed Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus was not from the social location of empire. Mm. Jesus was killed by empire. Mm. Yeah. So how do we, how do we, how do we as African-Americans, people of African descent all over Mm. the world, the, the pan-African diaspora, Mm -hmm. how do we then begin to understand and draw from each other's learnings, each other's aha moments, because we've all had them. We have had them. Mm. We've all had our prophets. Mm. I honestly think we simply need to be in conversation with each other more. Yeah. And there is a Pan-African movement that mm. is, is burgeoning. I'm part mm. of the Pan-African movement here mm. in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we, are, we celebrate mm-hmm. um, we celebrate the, is it the 13th region mm-hmm. um, that, that the African Union has declared that mm-hmm. there is a 13th region of Africa, and that is the diaspora. And mm-hmm. we say yes. thank you. Mm-hmm. We say thank mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. for seeing us mm-hmm. because we have been here mm-hmm. all over the world, taken from your belly mm-hmm. and moved moved all over the world in order to be used as labor Mm -hmm. to uphold empire. Mm -hmm. And we have learned a few things while being out here. And we want to be in conversation with you Mm -hmm. because we cannot all be whole until Mm -hmm. we share our common and uncommon experiences Mm -hmm. of this common history that Mm -hmm. we experienced in different ways. Well, Lisa, thank you. And before I know you have to leave, I need to ask you one um, one question. And uh, we are we are recording this actually a week exactly after uh, Chadwick Boseman passed away. And uh, and I, I'd like to hear because for I am a person who does not like movies at all, but I watched Black Panther yes. four times. Yes, and there was something about, and I, I was sharing on my on my Facebook that yes, we know Marvel is a capitalist system, we know all of that, but there is something about Black Panther. There is something about oh gosh, yes. There is something about the story. There is something about the rituals that were that yeah. were done in that yeah. in that movie. There's something yes. about the, women. the ancestors the, yes there's something about the women there's something the women. about the warriors there's yes. something about yes there is so much about yeah. 
what was depicted and it is only and i feel like chadwick was the right man to be mm-hmm. the king of wakanda because he, he was he carried he carried the story well so i want to hear uh, your views on that and uh, on him his death his wakanda and what that uh how wonderful what a great question i i watched all well most of america a lot of america watched wakanda watched wakanda watched the black panther (laughs) a few days ago i think it was uh i don't remember exactly which day it was but um one day i guess it had to be i'm thinking where was i when i saw it i was home so it was probably on sunday i think sunday was like black panther day or maybe it was saturday yeah. but um abc one of our networks here showed it for free and of course and everybody just sat and watched it all the black folk in the nation yeah. a lot of black folk watched it and so i was reminded once again of of the power of that storytelling yeah. i think that the power of it really comes in the in the theme that is strung throughout throughout the entire uh, the entirety of the movie, the theme that keeps coming back, mm. show them who you really are. Mm. Mm. Show them who you really are. Yeah. The question of who are we mm. as people of African descent? Who mm. are Africans? Because that has been intentionally mm. masked, buried, defaced, tried to be erased but that Hmm. that that is where our power comes from yeah our power comes from who we really are Mm -hmm. who are we really who are we really we are the oldest people on earth Mm -hmm. we are the most wise people on earth we have Mm -hmm. the most years Mm -hmm. to have been to have gained the wisdom we are Mm -hmm. wise people we are the first people to have cathedrals. There mm. were cathedrals in Africa before there were cathedrals in Europe. Yeah. We are the first library. We mm. are the first university. Mm. We, are, we are the place that had the first major matrilineal family structure. Mm. We are the people um, who, we are the people who fought off war. In fact, it was a woman queen who mm. fought off caesar and caesar mm. ran hightailed it back to back to europe and never came back again because mm. he said oh i'm not trying that again a yeah. nubian queen mm. right and so um from the land of kush mm. and so it that's who we are yeah we are the people who have the richest land on earth mm. you know vibranium vibranium mm. was the 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 resource mm. the the it just overflowed mm. in Wakanda. Yeah. I mean resource overflows in Africa because it is the womb of the earth. Africa yeah. is mm. the womb of the earth. Mm. And that is why colonization and empire and carving up our our land and taking our people is so incredibly horrific because you know Francis Bacon Sir Francis Bacon is said to have said though I have not been able to find this quote so you know take it for what it's worth but mm-hmm. he is said by some scholars to have said that we were created in order to rape the land 
so that it, we would coax the jewels that it has to offer mm-hmm. us. Wow. He said that according mm-hmm. to some scholars. Mm-hmm. And that's why his, his philosophy was in many ways, it undergirded the, the imperial project, the colonizing mm-hmm. project. And essentially that colonizing project raped Africa. Mm. Mm. It raped the womb of the earth. Mm. And our job now as people of African descent is to heal, Mm. is to remember who we are. Mm. Mm. It is to remember the mm. dignity, the fact that we are made, we too were made in the image of God, are made in the image of God. And what does that mean? Not just that we have dignity, though that really is enough, mm. but also that we we are Wakanda. We are mm. created to exercise dominion in the world. Mm. We, who have the richest land on earth, are created to protect the earth, to serve Mm. the earth, to cultivate Mm. all of the rest of creation. Mm. We've been taught for the last, really for the last 2,500 years, Mm. that we were not. Mm. We were taught from the book of Plato that our race was not created to rule. Mm. Our race was not created to cultivate. Our race was not created to protect. Our race, according to, uh, to the lineage of white supremacist thought, was created to be ruled. Mm. It was created to um, provide the labor that undergirded the flourishing of Europe. Mm. And the resources. Ah, oh, but that is a lie. Yeah. That is a lie. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think Black Panther was so revolutionary mm-hmm. because that story showed us who we really are. Mm. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Lisa. And, um, if you you can stay on if you have mm-hmm. uh, if you have time, <laughs> but uh, maybe thank yes, thank you, Jared. That was such uh, such depth from from Lisa, and as she was speaking, I I was thinking about the work of remembering the mm. the work, and most of it is now coming because what we are doing in the Msingi study is the Exodus story and uh, we this week we were studying about when the plagues happened and there was instructions for the Passover and the key there's the refrain that keeps coming up that's remember 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 mm-hmm. and and even for you in your personal story as you shared with us in the in the previous in the previous uh, podcast that there is 
there's a lot to remember about your ancestry, your story that can be lumped up into one into one story because of your your story, your history, how you look, and all that. But mm. um, I'm more and more convinced that the work of of colonization and the work of of a bad gospel is <laughs> which the <laughs> apostle paul would say is no gospel at all <laughs> yes that very the bad gospel is no gospel at all but is <laughs> one that that makes you forget forget who you are whose you are and what you are for and you and you go the way of empire Totally. And um, I, I'm very aware, Carol, I mean, Lisa shared so powerfully um, uh, about a particular history and things that need to be expressed at this moment. Um, uh, but it's also remembering the particularities of mm. stories um, mm. and uh, uh, making sure we remember in such ways that um, uh, we don't essentialize our understanding of race. So often when we talk about race, um, people uh, give mixed messages and you notice it most when people are talking to kids. Mm. Um, so they'll say, race is real, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. When in fact the opposite is true. Mm. Race mm. isn't real. Mm. But as Cornell insist, it mm. race matters. Like yeah. race really matters. So mm. what is it to live with the reality that um, this fiction does matter? Mm. Uh, so uh, th the interesting thing of um, those who are a part of the African diaspora um, is often when uh, they visit the continent for the first time and realise that, look, this isn't about um, uh, 52 different nations, but in fact there's different people groups and mm. the nations that have been drawn up, those artificial straight lines have got more to do with this European fiction and mm. a history of exploitation, um, uh, the, the real fruit of colonising settler programs than it does these particular traditions. And this is why I think, and it's a, a pity that, um, you know, things are so busy at the moment in the US and, and Lisa has to go because often when we talk about nationalism, mm -hmm. um, it's with a US frame where nationalism yeah. is perceived as a, um, a, a right-wing thing. Uh, mm -hmm. But nationalism for nations such as your own, uh, for yes. um, movements like where my dad's family is from, only it's my dad's generation that were involved in um, armed resistance to British imperialism. Mm -hmm. uh, nationalism in places like Kenya and places like Ireland are often left-wing movements about mm. let's take land back, that land actually matters. Mm. And part of actually remembering a history is going, what does self-governance look like? Mm. One of the things that um, re remembering and the, the central role that it plays throughout scriptures, even our Lord's explanation of um, what his life is about. He doesn't hand out little booklets with four spiritual laws. Mm -hmm. uh, instead, he um, takes the Passover meal, the central meal to, to remember um, uh, that, that God hears the cries of the oppressed and acts to answer those mm -hmm. cries, that um, uh, the, the Mishnah talks about that, every generation um, must 
undergo the Exodus journey as if it was them themselves yes, walking. Yes. Um, that, that's how. That's what it means to remember. And mm. the, the English word is somewhat hap- helpful in the fact that um, it, it means to be put back together, to be remembered. Yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, communion it, itself, um, the, the Eucharist, is Jesus saying, this meal is my message. If you want mm. to understand my life as the reinterpretation of the Exodus story um, through the revolutionary nonviolence of my whole ministry, life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, share economically real food, mm. real wine, so no one's left out. No. And as you take part in this meal, you, you're actually you're welcoming the future. It's not simply a looking back and going, don't forget mm. that in the past. It's don't forget a future hope. Mm. And so this is where the complexity of, um, and this is where um, the the death of this particularly talented actor actually highlights how uh, important the arts are and Mm. uh, figures um, such as um, uh, Chadwick is to be able to uh, empathetically and imaginatively enter into stories. But it's it's the compl- like there's complexities, and if if there were other things that were highlighted, I'd probably want to emphasize other things. Mm. But um, you know, I, I've got um, friends in uh, Zimbabwe and mm. um, Botswana who feel very differently about Black Panther as a movie. Mm. Um, that uh, th- this kind of um, fabrication of a- an ideal, while it's so important, let's make sure that. Um, these projections are understood as um, uh, people who have been dislocated from land and tradition, um, mm. then taking back from a, a white comic book writer um, mm. who is looking at larger American society and a movement uh, predominantly initially in California that was so attractive to Stokely Carmichael mm. that was feeding 20,000 children every morning um, mm. Uh, that's what the Black Panther movement was. Mm. And uh, yeah. a, a white comic book writer um, mm. took this element and um, uh, then, um, you know, capitalised on it literally yeah. um, to create a superhero. And so this is a subversion of mm. a, a larger thing in uh, because it gave so much permission to people. Mm. And just like the scriptures, when we forget that... Um, uh, these are subversions that are going on. Mm. Um, Solomon is not a good guy in the scriptures. No. No. Um, uh, the first time 666 is mentioned in the scriptures is in relation to Solomon. Uh, like First Kings is very we clear. Need, we, that, I think, you know, I think we need a whole podcast episode We should probably do Solomon. a whole podcast. Yeah, on on Solomon. Like, because, I, I, would, I would love to do that because it's yes. so important. But yes. this, this is my point that... Um, uh, Let's be careful not to oversimplify things in our grief. Mm-hmm. Um, anything that leads to a scapegoating, and so maybe I should locate myself in the conversation. Um, yeah. uh, m- my family uh, on my dad's side were deeply involved in the IRA, mm-hmm. uh, which um, 
many on the left worldwide uh, would see as a revolutionary uh, movement to free Ireland from British imperialism. So my mm -hmm. family's involvement with um, uh, the Finian Brotherhood and then the IRB, the Irish Republican uh, Brotherhood, and then the IRA, the Irish Republican Army. Um, mm -hmm. Some see that as uh, terrorism, others see that as freedom fighting. And um, I am as passionately committed to decolonization. And that's why I sidestep the, the question just a little bit, because when I talk about decolonization, I want to do so with academic integrity. And mm. decolonization isn't simply colonization is bad. Um, mm. It's why terms like post um, uh, colonial studies I find so problematic because yeah. uh, colonization I mean, is not over. It, it, Colonization it's, it's is ongoing. Present and, 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 and keeps when we reinventing in, itself. Or constantly. Because yeah. uh, I think um, colonization is about the, the domination and the deliberate amnesia of empires inducing people to forget where they're from and the complexities of their stories. Mm. So there, there are ways to tell my particular story that makes it heroic um, mm. and uh, forgets the lives of those that my family members have mm. taken. And yeah. I'm not prepared to do that as somebody who is committed to the way of Jesus, but nor am I um, uh, going to be spoon fed the theology of the colonizers and be used as a puppet um, mm. and uh, turn around and say uh, that them fighting uh, for their freedom is wrong. Yeah. There is this narrow path uh, that takes a radical stance against the dehumanization of all um mm. and that's that's a that's a very different that's a very different conversation we need to talk about trauma um, yeah. we need to talk about but so much about theology carol like it, it is imported from the us and we need to be very careful that a a version of moses's story mm. <laughs> that sees um uh, Moses as a Hebrew in the courts mm. of Pharaoh as liberation. Oh, if mm. we just get more diversity in the courts of Pharaoh, if we just mm. get representation in the courts of Pharaoh, mm. that is not good news. Yeah. That is just diversity of who gets to lord power over others in taking mm. part in the bad news. Because you're the table remains the same. You don't, uh, the structures remain the same. The... And you're a minority anyway, and there's no way you're going to change a whole majority as a minority. So it needs, yeah. And and this is the complexity of, um, uh, you know, on, on my mum's side of the family, uh, Russian Jews, and mm. I don't ever want to take away from the Shoah the reality mm. that in the 20th century, six mm -hmm. million Jews mm were put to death in Nazi Germany. Mm. Mm. And yet if, mm. if, we, if we do not step into the trauma and seek to heal that trauma, we cannot understand mm -hmm. the dynamics of the nation state mm -hmm. that was formed in 1948 um, mm. uh, that displaced Palestinian people and mm -hmm. um, uh, that ongoing trauma of that Zionist project um, uh, and, and the pain that it causes for so many there. That, that they are deeply complicated realities. And so I, I know there's ways to tell both sides of my family's story as a victim story. 
Mm. Um, or there's ways for me to erase that because, you know, I am melanin challenged. Um, yeah. If no one asks um, uh, about my name, um, I look like I could be the people who stole the land from my family. <laughs> mm. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so the, one of the options is uh, blend in with the oppressors, ask no questions and try and seek to uh, play their game and win. The other is find an identity that constantly needs the oppressor um, to, to be there because I don't know who I am if I'm not oppressed. Mm. On the other side of that, there is the business of walking out of Egypt and what it is to spend 40 years getting Egypt out of us mm. so we can step into a new reality where um, we can actually relate to one another seeing one another's humanity. And that's the true work of decolonization, um, mm. which sometimes freedom yeah. simply means not mirroring those we're fighting against, but learning to fight in such ways that we don't become like the monsters we're up against. As, you, as, as you're sharing this, I'm, try, I'm mirroring this to the Kenyan story, is um, that as, as we keep sharing this is that first our political ruling elite were part of the of the they had been co-opted in the colonization story and most of our political families right now most of most of the most of the political families most of the most of the parastatal heads most of the, everybody majority of them who've got who've had power for about almost 60 years have been people who benefited from the colonial project and mm. so it is to their benefit that the uh, neo-colonial project continues because they've seen the benefit of colonialism and yeah. and that's why laws that are not representative of of the common, we call it common Mananchi, the common Kenyan, those laws will never come to be because the people at the table need that table intact because it yes. benefits them for generations upon generations. And, and so... Carol, this is where I think it's so essential that we name that mm -hmm. um, part of the nature of the good news mm -hmm. is not merely it's the end of the bad news, mm -hmm. but it's the particular diagnosis of the bad news in mm -hmm. a particular context mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. the way that domination, death, sin, oppression, injustice, violence um, expresses itself in one place mm -hmm. uh, to understand that, you know, as um, John's first epistle put it, that um, uh, the son of man, uh, the son of God was revealed for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Mm -hmm. um, we need to understand those works. Yes. And we need to be able to enter into, and, and that's why the, the American conversation, uh, there is so much to learn from and it's so rich, um, but it does not remove uh, the work we have to do in our particular locations um, uh, to understand uh, the particularities of, uh, let's be careful that as uh, American um, colonial interests in our nations today, mm -hmm in terms of military bases, in terms yes. of um, uh, all, all that kind of stuff, isn't um, brushed over because um, we're all eating popcorn, mm. <laughs> watching films that we feel 
um, representation on film is important. Mm -hmm. But if our imagination does not stretch past seeing uh, people like us on film instead Mm -hmm. of seeing people like us free, we still have work to do. And, and, And also to be able to name the powers as you see them. Name yeah. that, uh, name that, that power. Colonization by a black person is not a better colonization. It's still colonization, and for, yeah. for us in Kenya, that's that's the conversation that we have to have: is that colonize, uh, continuous colonization, continuous oppression, uh, continuous uh, creation of laws that are anti anti-people is is what as the church and you see now as we see that the church and the state have been co-opted the church cannot as an institution cannot be the place where we say this okay let's the church will would rather be the one that says give me your 10 talents and that would be in form of of tithes and offerings give me Mm. everything that you have as opposed to, okay, hide your one talent because empire is taking from you, you know? Yeah, and, and the particularities of that text and understanding that um, it, uh, in terms of Matthew 25, that there is no the kingdom of God is like at the mm. be- beginning of that parable. Mm. And so why is that parable being set up? How does it work with the parable of the virgins that follows it? And how does it fit with the finale of um, the sheep and the goats and Mm. that final judgment? And if there isn't a continuity between those texts, um, we're reading it in ways that don't, doesn't do Jesus justice, Mm. (laughs) both justice to Jesus and Jesus like justice. And um, this is the really, uh, these are the important conversations um, where uh, how to how to actually um, start to free our imaginations from it being like a, a power grab to actually how do we understand power complete, completely differently? Mm. And Not thinking, how do we fight to prop up a, a different system, but yeah. how do we undo all systems of oppression? Yeah. And I'm thinking especially in terms of a good gospel, in terms of Mm. what a good gospel looks like, is one that is one that's liberatory for anyone who is in oppression, but also for the oppressor as well. And we for and what liberation for the oppressor means is what Zacchaeus had to do. Mm -hmm. Exactly. is what the Egyptians and the Egyptians had to do when they had to. And I read, there's a verse that stood out for me. Let me look for this for for a book that they had to give, to give everything. Like when liberation was happening for Israelites, they were stripped of everything in Egypt. The Egyptians were stripped of everything. And that is not, con- we don't speak about that. <laughs> I've never, until you read it and read it, seeing everything, because sometimes you miss some of these yeah. things. 
And Carol, how fascinating yeah. is it that um, those things that they took is end, ends up being what they use to make idols? Yes. The very thing yes. while like Moses is busy, busy up on the hill and it's like, well, what are we going to do? Um, uh, we can end up making idols mm. from um, because what, what that I think represents is our desires are still formed by Egypt. So mm-hmm. we end up still wanting what they have. Yeah. And part of the importance of Sinai is that it's the, um, it's the anti-empire project. Like these mm. 10 words that God gives, mm. um, that, like they're predominantly about how we relate to one another and the goodness of creation to pick up on um, Lisa's so eloquently put point in terms of um, Genesis 1, uh, the goodness of creation between things, um, mm. the the 10 words, or as we know uh, in English as uh, the 10 commandments, mm. um, th- these are instructions of how to undo empire mm. and be part of like a community in, instead of a pyramid building project. Mm. Mm. Pyramid building projects always has someone on top and it's yeah. stratified. Um, mm-hmm. What the 10 words are, he, here is what it is. Um, Sinai is a movement to make us a people free from domination. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's um, in Jesus that we see that embodied and realising that the gospel um, uh, isn't merely about articulating something as much as it is embodying something. Yeah. The gospel doesn't need to be explained. Mm. Uh, the fact that our Lord gives us a meal and 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 not a um, tract or a pamphlet, and, and not even, uh, you know how you sometimes is like a closing statement, like so. The, yeah, that's right. So, like <laughs> mic drop, peace out. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> like like no embodiment is what I am about. Yeah, yeah, I, and uh, and I, and what God has always been about. Like yeah. um, God has always been looking for a people, and the choosing mm. of. Um, Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and uh, what it is to that uh, to take seriously that the creator of all who hears the cries of the oppressed and is in the business of ending oppression works from below with small numbers um, uh, that that is true as God was seeking uh, a, a people to embody a different way um, mm. all the way uh, through the scriptures and when God literally shows up in the flesh, that's exactly what we see as well. The 12 aren't chosen um, because of uh, their intellectual excellence or um, uh, their impeccable um, CVs or um, their, their resumes or uh, their, their leadership ability. Um, we have zealots chosen alongside tax collectors, um, nobodies, people who fish for a living. And it, it's, this symbol of the 12 um, chosen and that remembering that election is about a vocation and that vocation is to learn the patterns of God embodied in the flesh. Mm. And if, if we, um, if our nationalism of the left or the right, um, if our supremacy games, um, be they um, based in uh, gender, orientation, race, ethnicity, class, mm. um, like whatever it might be, to understand clearly to follow Jesus is to follow Jesus in an exodus from all oppression. Mm. 
Yeah. Mm. So I, I always, um, I'm trying to remind people all the time when we say following Jesus, Jesus is going somewhere. Yeah. He, 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 there is a future that God in, envisions. Um, yeah. And Jesus is that vision in flesh. It, mm. Jesus is that vision made visceral. Um, mm. And so to follow, there's no way to follow Jesus without taking a step towards the world that God longs for, a world mm. without violence a world with, where death does not reign, a world where oppression and evil aren't the last word on reality. But those things are being cast out so that um, justice and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit can find a home. And God comes to us like a refugee looking mm. for God's world to be made whole again so that goodness can dance between and through all things. That's a very good gospel. Amen. And uh, <laughs> I feel like with that, we... We definitely have uh, really left a lot, a lot to be thought about, a lot to be mulled over, a lot to to come back and listen again and again mm. and again. I think I always come back to, and listen to some of these conversations because a lot you miss a lot by like so I find that I miss a lot and have to come back again and listen. But the very good gospel. The very good gospel liberates, and Amen. and uh, we need to. And I hope in more episodes we will we'll be speaking about particular areas that we uh, that the very good gospel needs, and and some and more more often than not we'll be speaking about the church because the church does need the very good gospel. Yeah. If you've been inspired, challenged, and or enjoyed this conversation and would like to contribute to this and catch up with more of such, remember to follow us on social media at Trust, share this podcast with your friends and family, and also consider making a donation to support the production of this podcast. Donations can be made through PayPal, msingikenya at gmail.com, Patreon at msingikenya, or through M-Pesa plus 254-792-176-030. Kwaherini, and thank you for joining us.